You're listening to the Asian Boxing Podcast here, Scott and Colin. So, um, yeah, let's start looking at last Saturday's card, the one from Suzhou in China. What did you make of that? I, I thought that card was, was a lot of fun. Um, the, I, I guess the best bout out of that card, I thought, was the Jing Zhang versus uh, Por Pramuk, the, the former WBC light flyweight world champ. I know you were talking about how that was possibly fight of the year, right? Uh, so far, obviously, it's been early. But uh, Ong was certainly, yeah, Ong Sen was fantastic. Um, not sure if it was actually the best fight on the card, but it's certainly up there. I enjoyed the, the Jiang Wan versus Xiong Yong Yang fight, the Super Bowl White Youth title bout. Um, that ended in 10 rounds, 10 rounds of pure nonstop brawling action. And that wasn't something that you really expected, was it, uh, between those two, I guess? Going to a draw and a possible rematch with, with both of those guys, but that was that fight, like you said, it had so much action. But did you expect that to to have so much action like that? It was going to be impossible to predict. Um, I hadn't seen a lot of young, uh, but we know Koreans, Koreans give us fights, they don't know how to take a backwards step. Jiang Wang, again, not me really seeing much of him. Neither guy had a record of a puncher, yet they both fought like. But for like they, their power is going to be the difference, and it made for great action. I guess you could say Koreans are, are like the Mexicans of the, of Asia, right? I mean, it's a, a style that's fun to watch. They they come forward, and um, it's basically just come forward and get punched, and then punch. Yeah, it's such a shame there's not more Koreans breaking through the ranks. You go back to the 1980s and the 70s. There's so many great Koreans, and, and now there's very few. Scott, why do you think that is? There's a bunch of reasons. One is they had quite a lot of accidents. The Duck Kim death is a major one. Since then, they had three or four of the high-profile deaths in, in the ring. There also wasn't the money in boxing. Um, we saw the Korean economy really boom. And with the economy booming, there's no reason to get your head punched in for the same sort of hair, I'm afraid. No, uh, you, you make a good point there. I guess my follow-up question would be with, with money in Korea and, and them fighting, why, why do you think then is, is Japan so involved in, uh, on the boxing scene? That's a hard one, really hard one to explain. In fairness, I don't think the Japanese economy is really growing. It hasn't been for a while. The Korean economy is still very strong. It's still growing. There's also the fact that the JBC in Japan is very strong. In Korea, there's so much politics. There's there's four different Korean bodies and commissions, so it's splitting the talent. It's just a mess. It's, it's interesting when we talk about economies because China also an economy that's growing exponentially, but they had some fighters on this card that really impressed me because I uh, personally, I, I follow along with Thai fighters and Japanese fighters and the Filipino fighters, but I don't really follow along much with fighters in China. But again, um, that light flyweight bout with uh, Jing Zhang, he, he was impressive. Um, even Wang Feng Ji, he, he was also, he had, I, I was reading, had a disability for hearing and speech, but he impressed me as well. Yeah, incredibly tough guy. He's had a hard life. It's just unfortunate he came up against the incredible Magrama. Magrama has all the signs of a future world champion. 
when things get just really unfortunate to run into him at this point in time. Where do you think that path is for Magramo uh, to, to get there? Obviously, he unified two minor titles, but gosh, there's so many titles out there with the WBO that uh, it might be hard to get that shot. How, how far away do you think he is from getting that title shot? I think the next... I think Tanaka's probably the WBO flyweight champion because Tanaka's probably tied up for the next year. His next fight is expected to be in spring against Ryoichi Ryoichi Taguchi. He's then likely to defend his title later in the year against Jonathan Bomba Gonzalez in a mandatory. So that gives Magrano a year, year and a half to to just get more experience, get more prepared for Tanaka. Uh, He's also a really exciting fighter. I, I enjoyed watching him. has a fun style. Um, but yeah, I would love to see him go up against some of the flyweights that are world title holders right now. There, there's some fun guys up there, of course. Uh, Tanaka, along with uh, the Ukrainian, uh, what's his name? Uh, Atom Dolakian, yes, yes, I, I like watching him as well. So, flyweight is strong, although I don't know if it's the strongest division out there, but it, there's some there's some good guys, uh, in, in that division. Yeah, yeah, all those lower weight classes right now seem to be going through a hot period. One away with Kenshiro, Hirota Kaiguchi, Felix Alvarado, Carlos Canizales. There's so much talent at 108. One of 112 pounds we just mentioned. The lower weights are just on fire right now. Why do you think that is? Obviously, the lower weights never get the attention that a heavyweight or a middleweight or a wel- even a welterweight gets. Um, especially, you know, in, in America and England. But why do you think lower weights are on fire right now? I think there's a lot to say the Japanese amateur scene, to be honest. There's a lot of very good Japanese amateurs turning professional at the moment, and I think there are a lot of them in the lower weights. You had Tanaka, you had Inoue, you have Kenshiro, you have Kaiguchi, you all come from the same Japanese amateur scene. Ayoka's another. It's very, very competitive in Japan right now. And that's developing young talent, turning professional young, is then getting into the mix very quickly. When when did Japan get such a, a strong amateur scene going? Because obviously they've had such a storied tradition when it comes to boxing, you know, starting with the fighting Harada in the 60s and, and moving on. But it seems now that they're really starting to blossom. Obviously they had a golden period in the 60s and 70s and kind of had a lull and then it came, it, it fluctuates obviously, but right now they're in a golden age. Uh, why Why is that? Um, about 10, 15 years ago, they changed the high school setup and the high school setup in Japan has led to these young talents. There's There's been a massive change and we're now seeing the crop come through the system very quickly. You would think Japan, I mean, obviously, I, I've always assumed that baseball was their number one sport. And, and after that, it's kind of up in the air. Soccer, maybe, but there's not a lot. Uh, sumo wrestling, maybe. But boxing, really, is starting to become pretty big. Yeah, yeah it's starting to really, really surge. Um, the likes of Joichiro Tatsuyoshi in the 1990s was so big. He's inspired almost a generation by himself. Those were some great fighters back then and and they continue today and and it's really it's really fun to see just kind of what they're able to do i know there's also going to be a card on the 12th of january um coming up that's actually this weekend this saturday and that's going to be another big japanese card what do you make of that 
Yeah, that's going to be shown over Boxing Rays. It's unclear if that's going to be shown live or on some sort of delay, but it's got a couple of really good title bots on there. Um, we're going to see Mugichi Nakagawa fight Ryoichi Tamura for the Super Bantamweight title. That was vacated last year by Shingo Waka. And then you're going to see Shinano fight Narihito Tanaka for the Minamite title. Ono was supposed to get a, a shot at uh, Wenheng Miothin, uh for the WC belt. What happened? <laughs> that appears to have been taken off when the end-of-year card that TBS did, um, the Ayaka card, was changed from Tokyo to Macau to see Ayaka. Ayaka still can't get a license in Japan, so to get his fight with Nietes, they had to take it over to Macau. There wasn't going to be enough space and enough money and everything else to fit it all on. Mini Yothin is now meant to fight Tsubasa Kora in spring. Don't want to stray away too far from this Japanese card, but he has a chance to unify with his countrymen. Um, it, do you ever see that happening with uh, with uh, CP Knockout? No, um, Knockout, CP Freshman, and One Hanger basically backed by the same people. They're financially better off separated. Gives them money men two chances to make money, two chances to put shows on as opposed to just the one, which isn't great for his fans, but money talks. Gosh, there's nothing wrong when, when two countrymen get in, in there and duke it out. I, I always think that's better for the sport, but I guess financially that does make sense to have two champions, right? Yeah, yeah. twice as many opportunities to promote, twice as many shows to do on the TV. Thailand's a bit strange anyway when it comes to TV money. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast here, Scott, along with Colin, hanging out with you. And uh, Scott, looking at this Japanese card, what do you, uh, besides the two title fights, uh, what's a fight on the undercard that you can see as a possible, you know, fun fight to, to be watching? Kenachiwa versus Naoto Fujimoto has the potential to be very fun. Both guys are very limited, and that Yuji does give us fun action fights in Japan. It's usually more fun when we don't watch the top guys fighting because they're too good. But when we watch two sort of CRT-tier domestic guys, they put it all on the line. They, they tend to give it a war. Yeah, those are those are actually some of the more fun fights that I like to watch. It's just guys that I, I really don't know about it as much. Uh, not like these guys who are, are fighting for a title. And like you said, it, it kind of comes out to where they're just going all all for it and um gosh it's a that's a that's a tough way to make a living though isn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> what is it now looking at this japanese card uh what's the pot first of all the super bantamweight title with nakagawa and tamura tamura he his record doesn't look great but he's been in some wars hasn't he yeah, um, last year he challenged Yusaku Kuga, and he gave Kuga his toughest bout until Waka dethroned him last year. He was one of the very few fighters I've ever seen push Kuga back. He's also gone in there with Justonia Tida, another tough, tough guy. Tamura's record was really messed up early in his career. He turned professional with a good amateur pedigree and was matched hard. He took on guys like Hideo Sakamoto and Yusuke Suzuki, Wataro Maesaki, and he didn't win all those early bouts. See, that's something that I love about the Japanese scene, though, is that they throw these guys in there. I, and I know maybe it's not the best in terms of career building, but over here in the States, you see these studs just get matched up with cupcake after cupcake after cupcake. And they build up a record, 
of you know thirty and zero, but then when they get in in a real prize fight, then they get exposed. Uh, the Japanese fighters really don't care about their record, do they? Not quite in the same way. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a strange one. The Japanese fighters tend to see every fight as a development fight. There's fighters like Masayuki Ito, who never fought as an amateur and went through went through the domestic scene to develop himself. You don't see that, but you don't see that in the West. But in Japan, it seems to be the norm. They win the Japanese or Oriental or WBA Asia Pacific title, then move on to the world scene. It's like stepping stones, if you will. Uh, you mentioned Ito um, again, kind of straying off on a, a tangent here. But what what do you make of his rise as a domestic? You know, first a domestic champ, now a world champ in just what twenty seven fights. I mean, that that's incredible, really. Yeah, he turned professional without any amateur experience, a teenager and rose through the hard system. He won the Rookie of the Year. He won a youth title. He took every bout as a step forward. If you look at his actual record, he holds wins over Japanese national champions like Masaryusa Yoshi, Kosuke Saka. He's done the hard way, and these kids he's beaten when he was early in his career also did it the hard way. I think his only loss came to Riki Naito, who obviously is a, a great Japanese champ. And, and then you, you see him step over here in America. I, I was watching this fight on ESPN, and I was like, man, this, this kid has no fear. Yeah, when you go in there with the likes of Masao Nakamura and he, early in your career, I guess he kind of developed no fear. His, Nakamura's a massive puncher, for those who don't know. And he took him on as a kid and whooped him. We gave Nakamura a bit of a lesson at times. Getting back to the Japanese card on the 12th, it's Asian Boxing, the podcast. Uh, Scott and Colin with you here. Tamura, he's going to be facing off against Nakagawa. Now, this is Nakagawa's first uh, title shot, Japanese title shot. Is that correct? It is, yeah. Um, he was unlucky to miss out last year. Um, in 2017, he lost a narrow decision to Yasutaka Ishimoto and a Japanese title decide about a mouthful just to say eliminator and really just missed out on a shot at Kuga. Had he won that bout against Ishimoto, which he lost by a split decision by a point, he would have fought Kuga last year. Instead, he lost to Ishimoto, Ishimoto was injured, and Tamura actually ended up getting a shot, and, well, history is as history does. Yeah, Nakawa's first shot of the time. Who's your prediction, I guess, to come out with the victory? I think Tamura's going to get absolute hell. Um, Tamura's pressure is going to be a nightmare for Nakagawa to deal with. But I do see Nakagawa nicking the decision. I think his experience it will probably be the difference. All right, we'll mark that one down. Uh, moving over to the minimum weight title. Uh, that's going to be Ono and Tanaka. Now, Tanaka, similar to Tamura, you look at his record, 17-7. and, and seven, But then you look at who he's faced, and he has faced some monsters, hasn't he? It's a bit of a who's who, isn't it? You've got Ryuichi Taguchi on there, Kira Yaigashi, Takashi Kanishke, uh, Tsubasa Kara last year. It really is a nightmare for um, Tanaka's record. Even more so when you notice that he's one of the very, very few Japanese fighters who so have DQ lost in his record. You still have to, I guess, respect, though, what he is doing is just going after the big, the big cats. That's what you want to see. Uh, he is 33, so he's getting up there in age and uh, he'll have another shot at the Japanese title. 
Ono, as we mentioned before, was supposed to fight uh, Minoithin for the WBC minimum weight title. Instead, he's going to be uh, defending his Japanese title. And uh, what do you make of the Southpaw? He's 36. Um, is, is this going to be uh, his fight to win? Honestly, I've not been that impressed by, but he seems to keep getting wins. Uh, I didn't think he'd beat Riku Kano last year. I didn't think he'd beat Rihoki Hirai last year. He keeps surprising me. Do you think that's because he's a southpaw? Just tricky style for, for some of these guys? Uh, possibly, yeah. There is a little Japanese southpaws in these lower weights, but it could be that he's a southpaw. It could just be that he's so experienced. He's, he's trained with top fighters at the Watanabe gym. It could be that he's just naturally a nightmare to fight. He's also got a few um, experienced tricks, should we say. Uh, his last bout against Riku Kano ended following a nasty headbutt that completely shook Kano, and he then basically jumped all over the youngster and finished him off the same round. Yeah, unfortunate. Sometimes when you have to go against those southpaws, those headbutts are it's almost inevitable that it's going to happen, right? Yeah. yeah. This one looked a bit dirty, if I'm being honest, but yeah, it's inevitable eventually. Now, these bouts, these title bouts are all part of the champion carnival. Uh, for for someone who who doesn't know the Japanese scene, what is the champion carnival? The champion carnival is a series of mandatory title defenses where the champion, in these cases Shinano, and it would have been Shingo Wake had he not vacated, will defend the title against the number one contenders. It goes on the first half of the year, Um and at the end of it, there's an award for the MVP, the Fighting Spirit, and there's a few other awards given out, but it's basically a series of mandatory title fights. Yeah, I think it's a, a great idea. I wish we had it over here in the States because uh, then you would get more fights just happening, right? I mean, mandatory, just get in there and go fight. You're supposed to. It works so much better in Britain. Another good country with a really strong domestic scene, a strong domestic title. It forces promoters to work together as well. Asian Boxing, the podcast, Scott and Colin. This is our first run at it, Scott. I can tell you this. You know so much about Asian boxing. How did you get into the Asian boxing scene? Basically, no one else was doing it. Uh, I like watching fights of action, action fights. Yeah, I like seeing fighters who want to fight. And I wasn't seeing enough of it, so I then started to try and catch them off in Japan. Unfortunately, nobody else was really covering it. So, at least not in a good enough depth. Jokazumi was doing a fantastic job at the world scene, but not not in depth. I thought I want to look into this. I want to know more about it. And went from there and started to follow a bit too in depth, I think. You're originally from the UK. That is that correct? Yeah, that's right. As the accent gives away. <laughs> I love that. The accent's awesome. Um, how did you get into boxing then was that was that something that your family lo- loved and, and that you kind of grew up watching yeah my dad i think most kids dads like boxing and that's how it started unfortunately for me the first fight i can remember was robin reed versus sven Otka. <laughs> oh no yeah <laughs> oh my <laughs> um, <damn>. what about <laughs> yourself right well uh, that got you hooked didn't it it yeah must have done Either that, I mean, <laughs> it's not all like this. So have have you gone to Japan to watch uh, watch some fights then? No, no. I'm unfortunately very skint right now. You're going to have to make it out there to go watch. Exactly. 
promise the missus a new year over there. So a few fights and I'm sure she'll find something to do. So the 18th, there's some big fights uh, happening. Gosh, one one week after the 12th, which is going to be a fantastic card. We talked about that previously. We'll have the 18th. Um, talk about those fights. Yeah, um, we've got quite a few of them, including Bikas Christian making his debut. But the really interesting one was um, one where still not actually sure is taking place or isn't taking place. It's the TJ Dehaney versus Hai Takahashi fight for the IBF Super Bantamweight title. It, it, kind of an interesting choice. One, I, they kind of pop this up out of nowhere. So much so that we don't know if Takahashi's even going to get a visa in time. Yeah, Takahashi is a bit of a strange choice. Even when, you know, the Japanese scene, he's quite far down the pecking order. You've got guys like Iwasa, Shingo Iwake, Tomoki Kamida, Shohai Omori, Hirowaki Teshiguara, Ryo Akaho. You've got all these guys ahead of Takahashi in the queue. And yet, he's the one being picked. Do you think this was an effort? Because now he's signed with the uh, zone. Dohanian, and do you think this is an effort just to get an easy title defense before a possibly unifying titles? Yeah, yeah, it's clear the intention is for Dohany to defend or to unify with Daniel Roman later in the year. Um, and getting a Japanese guy to travel around the world on a week's notice is making an easy defense even easier, isn't it? That's kind of cruel punishment, if you ask me. I mean, gosh. Yeah, it's even worse when you realize Takahashi's not very good against Southpaws. And Doheny's isn't that, good against Going back to that Doheny Iwasa fight, what do you what what do you think of that fight? I mean, wasn't it closer than than the scores put it? It's one where if you listen to ESPN commentary, they made it sound close. Nobody in Japan thought it was particularly close. Iwasa's cornerman former world champion says Kobayashi told his man after round eight, you're going to need a knockout. So his team didn't think it was close. He didn't think it was particularly close. So that there was that urgency, obviously, to, to go out in there and, and knock him out. And for Iwasa, is it, he just struggles with southpaws, I guess? He is not in three against southpaws. All three of his losses have come to southpaws in Doheny, Shinsuke Yamanaka, and Lee Haskins, so. Yeah, I think he's uh, struggled with southpaws. That advantage kind of goes away, right? When you have to go up against another southpaw, so you have to figure figure some things out. He'll, he'll he should be back though, Iwasa. Yeah, he's uh, rumored to be up against Cesar Juarez in that spring. That should be a good one. February second, the Dynamic Glove bout mm-hmm. uh, or bouts, I should say, uh, are going on. Who will be fighting in in that event? The main event is the return to the ring of Kenichi Ogawa, the temporary, I guess, IBF Super Featherweight Champion, who is stripped after filling a drug test. He'll be taking on Rodan Ardia of the Philippines. That should be a straightforward, easy comeback win. That's the main event. It's a celebration of Ogawa's return. The better belt, arguably, is the chief support belt, which will see Junto and Nakatani fight against Naoki Mochizuki for the Japanese flyweight title. That's a good one. I like I like Nakatani a lot. He's an exciting guy. He he might be in for a, a world title shot maybe next year. Yeah, he's already in the world rankings. He looks phenomenal. He's one of those, a bit like we mentioned Masayuki Ito, he's come through the ranks the hard way. He won the Rookie of the Year. He won the Japanese Youth Flyweight title. And now he's fighting for the men senior title. Quite tall for a flyweight, isn't he? 
Yeah. Um, he's going to outgrow the division. It's a case of when, not if. He's very young, so he's still able to make it. But it's possibly another two years before he outgrows the division. And then uh, who else will be on the card? On the same card, we'll have the 1-0 Mikito Nakano, a former amateur standout who looks sensational on his debut um, last year. Um, and possibly more interestingly is Ree Conte or Lee Conte, depending on depending on who he's representing. He uses a slightly different name if he's representing his um, national team of North Korea or the Japanese school teams that he's represented. North Korea and South Korea, they're possibly going to have some type of a, a tournament, you were saying, uh, for, for to crown a, a champion? Uh, Boxing M, one of the one of the several Korean organizations, commissions, associations have announced that they're going to start a new project to create a North Korean world champion in the next three to five years. They announced that last December, and it's meant to kick off in spring this year. That blows my mind because obviously, with the state of affairs in North Korea, you you would think that'd be the last thing on their mind. But hey, boxing is a global sport. Exactly. Um, you try and think of North Korean fighters and you're going to struggle. You might think of Choi Myung-ho or Choi Chul-soo, but other than that, you're going to struggle to think of any professionals. So it's a really ambitious project. Hopefully it gets off the ground and works. Other uh, news that came out, I was reading that uh, possibly Naoya Inoue, his uh, bout might be close to being scheduled. Early in the week, he announced that he thinks it's going to be close. And since then, uh, Puerto Rican web- website, The Gondol, fantastic for anything Puerto Rican, has announced that they expect it to be on March 2nd in Puerto Rico in San Juan. There's been three dates announced, and then March 2nd, March 9th, and March 16th, with Rodriguez's team wanting March 2nd uh, so they can get the venue that they want to hold the ball in. Though I think their team wanted the United States, right? Their team are wanting New York, um, possibly to try and keep officiating a bit more on the ground and knowing that New York is a bigger boxing city than San Juan. However, they weren't ever chasing about to be at home, which was a strange one. You would imagine that with 10, 11, 12 million viewers in Japan, they would have done quite well. He might not have to worry about officiating, though, with the way he's been knocking guys out, huh? No, no, you never know. <laughs> Although Rodriguez, he, he's a tough cookie. He's a tough cat. Yeah, yeah, certainly a decent fighter. He looked good when he came over here to the UK and beat, beat Paul Butler. He did show some cracks against Milani there. Those body shots let on seem to have him second guessing himself. And I don't know he'll be able if he'll be able to take as many body shots from the monster as he did from Maloney. So, yeah, just a, a lot of boxing coming your way. January 12th, Champion Carnival. January 18th, Takahashi. Can he upset Doheny? Can he shock the world? Uh, it's happened a lot. Japanese fighters kind of always seem to be able to do that. And then February 2nd, the Dynamic Glove. Uh, Ogawa's return. And uh, hopefully it's a good one. O- Ogawa was, was kind of shamed after after getting caught for drugs. Yeah, the first Japanese fighter to be caught after a world title fight, I think. First Japanese fighter to be testing positive for anything, actually. That was not not a good deal for him. It happens a lot 
in other countries and maybe in other countries they they look at it and they kind of frown but life moves on i think in japan there's a little bit more shame going on because of that yeah not many countries will give you a 12 month ban for skin cream asian boxing podcast uh asianboxing.info that's the website twitter it's nice and easy to follow all you have to do go to the search bar go to asian boxing that's not hard scott do you have a, a personal twitter account uh, not that I use anymore. I used to, but not anymore. I always just think of your personal Twitter account as Asian Boxing. You're you're, you're the man on there. Exactly. If I'm going to write something, I might as well attach my company's name to it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, again, it's the Asian Boxing Podcast, our first edition here. Uh, make sure to tune in for more. We'll be coming with a lot more your way, and we're going to try to mix things up here on the Asian Boxing Podcast with Scott. I've been Colin, and have a great day.